0: Good morning, welcome again to Morning Devotion. I'm Pastor Sumrall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise, and thank you. Thank you for letting Sister Bev and I be a part of your heart. This is now the 35th week (laughs) of 2020. Can you believe it? It's like the year that never was. If I remember correctly, this thing started about week 10, and now we're in the 35th week, so 25 weeks of lockdown. Yes, it has been frustrating but yes, we have learned and we have seen the faithfulness of our God. When I see the testimonies and you send me little messages and I hear how God has blessed your family, I just rejoice. I rejoice in the faithfulness of a God who is faithful to all of his promises. Brothers and sisters, this will end and it will be well with you. Now we wanna get into Psalms chapter 91, and you know what I'd like you to help me do? I mean, we've been through the kids. I'd like to start on the college students now. But college students, I don't want you to memorize it, unless you wish to. But I'd like you to do something outdoors. Sitting in a tree, sitting in a swing under a tree, under an acacia tree, sitting under a palm tree, sitting under a coconut tree, just don't let anything fall in your head. Something outdoors, because we're all stuck indoors. So young people, could I ask you to send us some readings of Psalms chapter 91 in an outdoor setting, because we'd all like to see some green grass. (laughs) Psalms chapter 91 today, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. I will say to the Lord, this is my confession. this, This is what we say to God every day. My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Much better than (laughs) Job saying, God, you did these things to me. Sometimes you had to remember in hard times. God is not the author of the hard times. Satan is. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation." But you say, Pastor, in verse 10, it said, "'No evil shall be allowed to befall him.'" Well, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't have all the answers, beloved. I do know that in Job's life, God had a hedge around him, like a a hedge of protection, like a fence of protection. But the thing that took that down was not God. Job said, "'What I have feared has come upon me.'" His fear. Fear takes down the protection of God and attracts the enemy. Fear is to Satan what faith is to God. This is why I've so taught you, keep fear out of your heart. Every morning we read the scriptures together and pray together, because fear cannot be a part of who you are. Father, we come in Jesus' name. Let there be no fear, especially in the hearts of the seniors. This is not gonna be a generation where we lose all of our grandparents, Lord in the name of jesus father we're going to hang on to our lolas and our lolas, and they're going to live a long life god you're going to satisfy them with a long life and a life worth living they've honored you father in their youth and honored their parents they've worshipped you lord oh they've got strength in their bodies now father i thank you that this plague shall be far from the homes of our seniors that your hand will rest upon them that there be no fear within their hearts, Father. Just a simple rest of faith, just a relaxed faith, knowing that God is faithful, faithful as he who has promised. Father, again, I pray for all the young people again. The old and the young, they're locked in together. Let this be a time when values of a generation are passed on to the third generation. The values that brought families out of poverty are passed on to a third generation. Let this be a time where young people understand the strength of their families. And Father, let this be a time where young people grow strong in faith and strong in prayer. Not strong in K-pop, not strong in the latest K-pop idol, but strong in faith and strong in prayer, strong in the word. Let this be a season where young people dig into God and dwell in God stronger than ever before. And Father, we declare favor over all of our families today. I declare favor over all of our families selling food today. I declare the favor of God and the favor of man over all of our businesses and all of our career people today. I declare favor over the church and all that we set our hands to do. Father, let the favor of God and the favor of man flow to our lives today. This plague does not stop the shadow of God's favor falling upon us. Oh, and we thank you for it, Father. Oh, this great shadow of favor. Let it just envelop all of your people today, Lord. Let people be kind to them, not even knowing why. Let new opportunities come to them today, Father, just from out of nowhere. Let new sales come. Let people walk up and begin to offer new opportunities. Father, let the favor of man come. But more than anything else, Lord, you promised because you have made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that your favor shall be upon the righteous. Let your favor be upon us today, Father. Let the favor of God be upon us in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it, Lord. Let this be a season when wealth transfers, when hard times end. Father, let every family in this season stronger than when they went into it, Let others look at them and go, how did you get so blessed in the middle of this thing? Father, in the name of Jesus, let the wealth of the wicked transfer to the righteous in this season. We thank you for it. Lord, I pray again for the young people. Incline their heart to your word. Stir up a spirit of prayer within them, Lord. Give them a desire for you. Father, let this be a time in which your love touches their hearts and your love controls them like it did Paul, and your love draws them, Father. Let this be a time when their walk with you goes so deep and so strong, and you make your presence so real in their home. Let these be days, Lord, when they have encounters with you that change them for the rest of their lives. Too often, Lord, life is just so busy, especially for the young people. They're running here and running there, In this season, they can't run anywhere. Let this be a season in which they run to you. Oh, they run to you, and they find your reality. Let the young people have incredible encounters with you, Father, in Jesus' name. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship. Our New Testament passage today is a very famous passage of scripture. And we'll go a little slow through it because it is so famous that we often skip over it in our morning devotions. Chapter 13, verse one of 1 Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now look at that, the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. Men and angels. All right, so tongues would be the languages of men and the languages of angels. So when people tell me, well, you know, when you speak in tongues, you know the devil doesn't understand it. Well, you know, he does understand the languages of men and he does understand the languages of angels. But he said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal." In other words, (laughs) irritation. Just an irritation. It just doesn't fit, all right? If I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, I notice the alls, all faith, all knowledge, all mysteries. So as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing, so power is not greater than love. Spiritual power is not greater than love. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So sacrifice is worthless without love. You know there are some people they think they're big givers but they don't walk in love. And they wonder why they gain nothing. Now here is a giver who will never prosper. Okay? There are givers that never prosper. Why do they never prosper? It says they gain nothing because sacrifice is worthless without love and then he begins to describe what love is what is love love is action not feeling now notice how he describes love love is patient that's how you treat somebody love is kind that's doing things that are beneficial to others love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Now, it'll present its opinion, but doesn't insist on it. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Look at all of this. This is all how you treat people. This is all about relationships. Love bears all things. Uh, Endures is a better way to put it. Uh, A man said, Pastor Summer, how can I know that my wife really loves me? Well, I looked at him and I laughed in a minute. and I said, well, our wives put up with us. Our wives endure us. (laughs) And he looked at me and I said, now I'm partly joking. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Now look at that. All, 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 all. Love always hopes for people. Love always has hope. You know, sometimes as a pastor, you you see the absolute best of people, and you see the absolute worst of people. And at some point in your life, you have to realize that if you really walk in love, You don't hope for their ruin, you hope for their best. Now let's look at verse eight. Love never ends, wow. Love never ends, it's all right. There's no such thing as falling out of love. You fall out of a bed, you fall out of a bunk bed, but you don't fall out of love, love never ends. You don't stop loving people. And and this is one of the hardest things I have to, to teach leaders sometimes. You've got people that have really been ugly. You've got people that have really been nasty. You know, the real pimple people that Paul talks about and they pop on you. Well, you know, sometimes you deal with these people. And what people don't ever realize is that when you've really been a pastor to people, when you've really been a connect group to people, connect group leader to people, when you've really been there for people, you don't just stop loving them because they walk away from you. You, you love them for the rest of your life. There, there are people that have been uglier to me than anybody I could ever else imagine. And I still think about them. Oftentimes, several times a week, some people, it wouldn't surprise me if I thought about them every day. Are they doing okay? Because you always, you always hope. You always believe. That's what love is all about. Love doesn't ever give up on people. Well, let's just put that in there. Love never gives up. Now, sometimes, like the prodigal father, prodigal son's father, you got to let people go and walk away. But it doesn't mean that you ever stop loving them. It's so not as for prophecies, spiritual gifts, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Okay, so these things will end. So, spiritual gifts spiritual gifts, tongues, knowledge, these things will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, what is the perfect? Now, if you talk to our Baptist brothers and sisters and they're saved and they're going to heaven, we just disagree about the Holy Ghost, okay? Now, when that which is perfect is come, they say equals the Bible. But it does not equal the Bible. Okay, the Bible is still, you know, man listening to God and writing it down. And yes, we trust the word of God, but that's not what the scriptures are talking about. But they teach that this secessionism theology, and this is what the Baptists teach, secessionism. They teach that the age of the apostles is over, that there are no more miracles, there are no more healings, there are more spiritual gifts, because now we have the Bible. But that's not what, that which is perfect. What is actually being referred to is the second coming of Jesus. Not the rapture, but the second coming of Jesus. Because we know that during the Great Tribulation, the 144,000 evangelists from the, the Jewish people, and we know that the, the two great witnesses in the uh, temple courts, uh, we know that these people will definitely operate in the gifts of the Spirit and the supernatural. But at the second coming of Jesus, during that millennial reign, during that thousand years that Jesus rules and reigns on earth and we rule and reign with him, um, all these partial things are, are passed away. And then Paul begins to apply it. He said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, when I grew up, I gave up childish ways. Now notice the three childish ways. There's childish speaking, there's childish thinking, and there's childish logic. Now, childish speaking, thinking, and logic is like a child. It's selfish, it's self centered, etc. He said, Now, you know, when you when you grow up, you start thinking beyond yourself. You stop You stop reasoning like a child. You give up the childish ways of wanting to play and no responsibilities and you give up the selfishness and the self-centeredness and you begin to think about other people. And it's not that children are bad. I mean, please, we've all had our children. A child doesn't care that mama is sick. A child, mommy, I'm hungry, doesn't care that mama's been throwing up and sick. But as a child grows up, the child goes, you know what, mommy, You just lay here in the bed. Let me get a cool cloth for your head. Let me take care of you, mommy. And mommy, I'll cook the food for all of the rest of my siblings. Because you're growing out of childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So when we get to heaven... When all of this is done, all right? when, 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 all, when the perfect is come, we are going to know fully. We're gonna understand the fullness of God. But we, we don't get it now. Right now, we just see through a mere dimly. Now, this is why you often hear me say that we grow and that we learn. Uh, people have often asked me, Pastor Summerall, have you ever made mistakes in preaching? Legion. So why would you say Legion? Because I preach so much. But you know what? We're always learning and we're always growing. When I look at the sermons I preached when I was first year pastor 40 years ago, oh my goodness, I I, I did my best, but I was still learning. If Jesus tarries another 20 years and I'm still your pastor, I will look at the sermons I'm preaching now and I go, oh my goodness, that was so shallow. That was, that was so trivial. You're growing and you're learning. Right now we see through a mirror dimly, okay? But then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. The the triangle, the trinity. I call this the, the trinity of ethics. The ethical trinity. Faith, hope, and love. These three abide. And the greatest of these is love. The greatest. What's greater, faith or love? Love. What's greater, hope or love? Love. The greatest of these is love. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
1: You're asking why is it always raining on you? When all we want is just a little good news, instead of sending their stuck out in. we begin
0: in one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible. In many ways, it's just like Proverbs, but there is a subtle difference. Proverbs is written at the beginning of Solomon's life when he's really living for God and he's really serving God. And it is just full of things that his mother Bathsheba had taught him and things that his, a lot of things that his father King David had taught him. When we get to Ecclesiastes, we're dealing with the end of his life and he's really fallen far away from God. Now to really understand Ecclesiastes, go back and read the last paragraph in the book and then come forward and read the rest. Because you see that this man understood. At the end of it all, there's one thing necessary, and that is a walk with God in your life. But this Ecclesiastes is a journey, and a lot of times it shows a frustrated heart that has wandered away from God. So there's a lot of tremendous truth in here, but there's a lot of pain and suffering that he has gone through. So let's start in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. This is Solomon. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Imagine that. This is the frustration of his heart talking. Everything is meaningless. He There's nothing that means anything. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Wow. He said, you know, I've worked hard my whole life. You can't take it with you. A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Now, young people, you don't get that yet but I'm beginning to get it. I'm I'm still young, I'm only 63, but I'm beginning to get it. Because you see a generation passing away before you. I see more and more of my father's generation and my grandfather's generation passing away before me. And right behind me coming up, there's my daughter's generation. So a generation goes and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. Now, how true? I remember visiting my father when he was still alive. And they were still in the big house on the bluff. And I remember walking out and looking at the house two doors up from them. And when I was in high school, there was a guy that lived there who was really into wrestling. And he had a, a wrestling thing set up in the backyard. And, you know, a lot of the guys went over there to practice their wrestling moves. You know, the, the fake wrestling moves. Not, not the real stuff, the fake stuff. The, the showboat stuff. And now there was the the youngest sister of one of my classmates in high school living there. And I looked at the house and I just shook my head and I realized two generations have lived there. The house is still there. The grass in the yard looked the same as when I was a young boy, 14 years old, walking down the street. I went up, saw the post office. And there, that little post office that my grandfather went went to every day was still the same. Same people working in that post office. The earth remains the same. You go down to the beach where they have the Jubilee. And Jubilee, I literally, once a year, crabs and shrimp just come up on the beach there. It's called the Jubilee in Daphne. And it still happens. You look out across Mobile Bay, and it still looks the same at sunset. You go up and you look at where we used to fish when we were young, where the three rivers come down into Mobile Bay, and it still looks the same, the little, little fishing thing that is still down there. You look at the causeway, and there's, there's still Ed's shed there. And I remember being so astounded at that time by realizing how little things change from generation to generation. And this is what Solomon is trying to bring out. A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Now some of you have gone through the same thing. You've gone back to your your barrio in the province and you look around and you go, As much as everything has changed in my life, nothing here has changed. And in some senses, you don't look on it as vain like he did. You look on it kind of like I did. This is a little comforting. The sun rises and sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then goes around to the north. Around and round goes the wind and on its circuits, the wind returns. (laughs) Would you look at that? So we're talking about the sun. We're talking about the wind. All the streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. (laughs) He Look at that. Now, he, he saw this as Total vanity. He said, You know what? Nothing changes. So he's he's looking around at everything and he says, Nothing changes. What has been well let's continue. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Okay, you you never stop look never stop seeing. Well that's not that's not quite the way to say it, he said. The eye never gets enough. Your eye never gets enough of looking at things. Your ears never get enough of listening to things and say, okay, we're done. He said, what has been will be. And what has been done will be done. And then here's the key. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, Especially when you're young, and I was the same way. You always want to think that you're doing something brand new and something unique, and you're saying something brand new and something unique. But you know what? There's nothing that you can say that has never been said before. There's nothing that you can do that has not been done before. There is nothing new under the sun. I mean, please, folks, how how many billion people have lived on this earth in the last how many thousands of years? There's nothing new. Is there a thing of which it can be said, see, this is new. It has already, it has been already in the ages before us. So get over. And, and sometimes I try to tell young pastors this, get over trying to be unique. You know, everybody wants to be cool and unique and do your own thing. And and you just look at pastors and go, guys, come on, just put on your barong and go preach. Just just teach the word. There's, There's nothing new. It's been already done in the ages before us. Even when it comes to false doctrines, you don't find new false doctrines there. The the false doctrines that we see today are the same false doctrines that have been around forever. You can find them back in the church fathers, in the first, second, and third century of the church. And just please, the, the heresies have always been. He said, there is no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to come after those yet among those who come after. He says, so the problem is not there's nothing new. The problem is everything is forgotten <laughs> Everything is forgotten. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom. Can okay, notice, here's the method. He said, I'm wanting to search, I'm wanting to seek, and my method is wisdom. All that is done under heaven. It is, unhappy, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. <laughs> really? No, it's not. It, it, it's not an unhappy business. But see, he had moved his heart away from God, and had gotten really discouraged. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. You, you can't hold the wind in your hands. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. He said, listen, there's always trouble, always crooked stuff, and he said, there's always lack. Now, talk about a discouraged heart talking. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all those who, were, those who were over before me in Jerusalem. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. Now, now notice this. Folks, here's part of his problem. He wanted to know madness, and folly. Now, brothers and sisters, there are some things you just don't want to know. You don't want to know madness, and you don't want to know foolishness. But, you know, he got into these intellectual pursuits rather than seeking God. And I perceive this is also but striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. No, not really. Now, here, this is a guy, remember, who took all these wives. This is a man who took all these wives, looking for pleasure. And you know what he said, the more I looked at the knowledge of this world, the more I increased my sorrow. Now folks, you gotta ask yourself the question, what do you really want to seek after in life? Are, are, you, are you looking to search by wisdom the things of this world that have, remember, this world, this world is fallen. This world is controlled by sin and Satan. Now, if you're going to use your intellect to try to understand a fallen world controlled by sin and Satan, you know what? This this is going to be your mental outcome, okay? It's going to be extremely, extremely discouraging. But remember, this is a man who had all these foreign wives and they led him away from God into idolatry. Chapter two, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure and enjoy yourself. Behold, this also was vanity. All right, so he began to, pleasure became his big pursuit and you know he had 700 wives and another 300 concubines and he had access to any kind of pleasure that you would want with his money and he tested himself with pleasure and he realized that's meaningless. Now again this whole book comes into understanding if you go back to that last paragraph and realize there's only one thing needed and that's to seek God. I said of laughter, it is mad, and I said of pleasure, what use is it? You know, you're not going to, people when they just give themselves over to pleasure, I'm sorry, they're not going to find, they're not going to find anything but vanity. I searched my heart with how to cheer my body with wine, now notice my body, in other words, wine affects the body. Wine doesn't do anything good for the soul of the spirit, but wine affects the body. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly. That I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Wow. I made great works. Okay, here's his great works. He said, I built houses. That's powerful. He said, I built houses. He said, I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which the water to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I say, here is a man of great projects. And here is a man of great wealth. I gathered for myself silver and gold. Now notice, myself, 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 myself. Okay, this is not a man that was living for what is the will of God, myself. The treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of men. He said, many concubines. I had all the sex I wanted with all the different women I wanted, every shape and size. So I became great and surpassed all those who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained in me. Okay, so he's still wise, but that wisdom's getting corrupted. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. So he's gone into total, he's totally hedonistic. He's totally hedonistic at this point. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. So he said, all right, because I worked hard, I played hard. Now, you often hear that phrase today. He worked hard. And let's just say he pleasured hard. He said, this this was my reward for all my work. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all that my toil had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, striving after the wind, and there was nothing gained under the sun. I mean, he he thought he could make a permanent difference in the world by his actions. And he realized it's not going to happen. Everything he built is gone today. So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly, okay? For what can a man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. He said, nobody can do more than me. It's already been done. Then I sat there. Then I saw that there was more gain in wisdom than folly. And there's more gain in light than darkness, okay? He learned the truth. Now, he learned it the hard way, all right? He learned the truth. There's more to gain in wisdom than in folly. And there's more gain in light than in darkness. Now here's the truth. But he learned it. Sometimes the pen works. Sometimes it doesn't. He learned it the hard way. Oh, and by the way, thank you to those of you that are helping me try to Uh, doing a little crowdsourcing on how to fix the uh, the palm rejection on on Microsoft Surface Studios. Um, I found some articles that said this is a pretty common problem. It doesn't have a problem at all with my one in the office, but this one does. So wisdom is better than folly. Light is better than darkness. But he learned it the hard way. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same events... Happen to all of them, all right? So, life happens. He said, I realize that whether you're wise or whether you're foolish, there are life events that happen. Everybody gets rained on the same, everybody gets stuck in the same thunderstorm, everybody gets snowed on the same. Okay. Then I said in my heart, what happens to a fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been so wise? And I said in my heart, that also is vanity. Of the wise, as a fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Okay, everybody lives, dies, and is forgotten. Now, it's fascinating to me that this was the richest king in all of Israel's history. This guy built more than everybody built in Israel's history. I mean, we're, they're still discovering his excavations. I, there's a little shop in the Cardo that Sister Bev and I like to go to, get little earrings and things as gifts for people. And the, the owner of that shop, they're a little older now, and their sons have taken over. But the, the mom and dad, when we first started going there years ago, told me that they lived in the old section of the city, and they actually have a home, that the floors of the home were built with the stones of Solomon's temple the first temple, first temple period stones. And you look at that and you go, you know what? Everybody gets forgotten. But David is far more respected and remembered in Israel than Solomon. Fascinating study. David was a man who lived a walk with God. Solomon was a man that had a couple of great encounters and then went far away from God for a large part of his life and didn't come back to God until the end. So it seems that being remembered and permanent accomplishments in life are done more by walk with God than being the smartest guy in the room. Verse 17, so I hated life. Imagine, here is one of the richest men that have ever lived and he hates life. That's what sin does to you. This is the fruit of sin. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I had toiled under the sun. Okay, why? Seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. So he said, you know, this really rips me off. He said, I can work hard. He said, I can build. He said, the next generation gets it all. And he said, You don't know whether he's wise or a fool, but he will be the master of everything I built. <laughs> oh, some of you parents, you've worked so hard to build a family business, and you realize that when you die, everything goes to your children. And you look around and you realize your kids hate the business. Wow. <laughs> I've watched great pastoral ministries in life who build great things for the kingdom of God. And either the second or the third generation because it's family owned corporations, that's something I don't believe in, but family owned corporations comes along and you know the kids come by with no anointing on their life and they're the master of everything that was built by a, a sacrificing generation and it's all destroyed. Yeah. He said, so I turned about And gave my heart up to despair. Wow. Over all the toil of my labors under the sun. So here is a man who is discouraged. Now, this is what sin does for you. You see, when you're, you're doing the will of God, you know that you're doing this because God wanted you to do it. And you're building this for the next generation. And it doesn't bother you about the next generation because you've done this because God wanted you to do it. You're doing it because it's the will of God, and you know that God will take care of the next generation. But if you're just building things in your own strength, your own ability, it's going to be a, a discouraging thing. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must, because you cannot take it with you, you can't take it to heaven. must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This too is vanity and a great evil. Now again, here's here's the problem of succession in the average family business. He never raised his children to work hard. You know, the son that took over destroyed the kingdom in just a couple of weeks. He never raised a next generation to work hard. He never let the the next generation get in and work with him. He just let them play around. You see, there are some people that just let their kids be kids and never put the burden of responsibility on them, never never make them carry a load. And then they get down near the end of their life and they go, my goodness, these, these sons, the son of mine is going to enjoy everything I've built and everything I've worked for, and everything I've poured my skill into. And He didn't toil for any of it. Now you can fix a lot of that by just making your sons and making your daughters work. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils under the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. All right, now now this is how he lived his life, okay? If you want to look at a snapshot of Solomon's life when he had pulled his heart away from God, his days were full of sorrow. His work was a vexation. And at night, he couldn't turn his mind off. Have you ever laid there in the bed and your brain just won't turn off? And you're just exhausted the next day. That is Solomon's life. You see, you're never going to find satisfaction in what you do and pleasure and, and searching out the foolishness and madness that you're never going to find fulfillment and satisfaction there. You're only going to find fulfillment and satisfaction in God. And, and this is his, his life, his days are full of sorrow, his work is a vexation, and at night his heart does not rest. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat, drink and find enjoyment in his sorrow. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and have enjoyment? All right, so God allows you to enjoy work. Now, I'm a person who likes to work hard. You know me. And I like being around people that like to work hard. But you know what I found? Hard work doesn't leave you full of sorrow, vexation, and and your heart not resting at night if you're doing what God wants you to do. For apart from him... There's the key phrase. For apart from him, only in your walk with him can you find enjoyment. Now, brothers and sisters, if you enjoy what you're doing because you're in a walk with God, God God gives you pleasure in the work of your hands. Uncle Lester used to say it like this. Doesn't matter how hard you work. Hard work doesn't hurt you as long as you enjoy what you're doing. I enjoy what I'm doing. Now, Yes, we've been working really hard during this COVID-19 thing and honestly, I'm gonna be glad when it's all over and we can get back to normal church, all right? Because this is, this is a lot of hard work. This is intensive work, doing a lot of little things repetitively, okay? We're not doing big things. But even in this, there's enjoyment because we're with God. Apart from Him, you're never gonna find enjoyment. Now, forgive me, but some of you, you worked really hard in your businesses. And he worked really hard to grow a business. And you look at me and you say, Pastor, it's not fun anymore. Well, it's not that the business has changed. It's you have changed. If the work isn't fun anymore, it's because you're apart from him. Now, now, please, I don't want to say that to criticize you, but if it's not fun anymore, then you're apart from him. In him, we should live and move and have our being. He is the vine. We are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing, Jesus said. So Solomon gives you a great truth here. Apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom, knowledge, and joy. So God gives three gifts to those who please him. Wisdom. Knowledge and joy. We're happy people. God gives you these gifts when you please him. If it's not fun anymore, it's not the business. If it's not fun anymore, it's your walk with God. Dig into God. Spend more time in prayer. Read the word. Get into the house of God to drive in services or whatever. But you you need to spend more time with God. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering, collecting, only to give it to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. All right. Gifts to those who please him. And this is the job. We'll call this the job description of the unsaved. The job description of the unsaved is to, number one, gather, number two, collect, and number three, give to the one who pleases him. <laughs> the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Now, if you'll just stay close to God, if you'll just dig into God, you're going to find that they're gonna have, there will be people who have worked really, really hard gathering and collecting, building a business. And all of a sudden, all that business is going to flow to you. You're going to find that there are people that have worked really hard building a house and lot. And now you come in and you buy it for 50% of the price. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. Now, these first two chapters really deal with a very discouraged heart. A man who had pulled his heart away from God. But even here, you begin to see he understands only when you're close to God. Only when you live a life pleasing to God will you find happiness. In